Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Shopify helps businesses break sales records over the holidays with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. In this for more than 10 years now. I remember when I was posted to Silver Dome, that was where I was first posted to after training college. And so when I was posted to Silver Dome, um, I started helping my girls who were vulnerable. So indirectly, I can say I have um, touched thousands of lives, but directly, I can confidently say that I have touched about 60 to 70 lives. Uh, thanks to Joy News um, for this great initiative. The day we've all been waiting for is here. Mom may be feeling excited, anxious, hopeful, all at the same time. It's a rush of emotions for her. Or it may be an emergency. Baby is coming too early than expected. So many things happen in the few hours, minutes, days when baby signals its readiness to come to the world. It's different experiences for different women. Today, we're talking about delivery here on The Baby Doctor with me, Bernice Abubedulansa. You don't want to miss any part of today's show. I'll be back to introduce you to my guest and we delve into the conversation. Do stay.
for staying on The Baby Doctor. This is the show that brings you all the information and knowledge on your baby. Today, I've been joined by Dr. Paddy Ayete, and uh, he's been helping us with all the information we need. It's, it's such a, a pleasure to have you here. I love talking to you, Doc, and thank you for sharing your knowledge with us all the time. He's with Elemas Health, and much later, I'll tell you how to contact him. But, Doc, today we're talking about deliveries. It's is the real deal that's the the moment we've all been waiting for the climax of the nine months even though it doesn't end in nine months for a lot of women but what usually signals babies readiness is the labor right is different experiences for different women what exactly is labor and when do we know we are getting there okay so for the pregnant woman um, usually she would notice a pain pain in her back or over, and, and associated with the tightening of her tummy. Which, you know, during pregnancy, later part of pregnancy, you have a little bit of those, but in no particular order, it just comes and goes and comes and goes. But this time, the pain is rhythmic. So it comes, then it goes away. They notice that uh, 30 minutes later, it's back again. Another 30 minutes later, it's back again. They realize the fact that, no, every 30 minutes, I'm having this pain. When it's consistent like that, then you know that labor is starting. The next stage is that the time between the contractions, as we would call it contractions, becomes shorter and shorter. So you notice your tummy is getting hard, and then after a while it gets soft. Then the next time it gets hard, maybe in 30 minutes. But after a while you notice that ah, instead of being every 30 minutes, it's not every 20, then every 10, then every 5. In most places, or where transportation is adequate, would say when the contractions are every five minutes, set off from wherever you are and come to the hospital. We say that in the confidence of the fact that labor takes maybe about 10 hours from the first pain till when you, you deliver. And we say 10 hours because the cervix dilates from zero dilation mm. all the way to a 10 centimeters. It's approximately one centimeter per hour. Um, so that is for the typical person. Pain in the back, pain over your tummy or in the lower tummy, and the pain is rhythmic, episodic, and then after a while, it's, you, it becomes serious business, and they come to hospital. For some other people, however, they don't have that pain to start with. Mm. All they notice is... Psh, the baby has water. a... Okay, why? Okay. A gash of water. Right. And so they are the ones who will first notice, the water, my waters have broken, and there's no pain. Or as somebody told me on Sunday... I'm urinating, but it's not stopping. Oh, okay. Right. Because that's how she felt when she started mm. to pee, and all she knew was that, ah, the urine is not stopping, it's just continuing. Yeah. So that actually meant you know, she had ruptured membranes. So in that case, too, we say, come to hospital. And our, because our concern is that there's a risk of infection. And, and, it, and we don't want to put anything inside there until we're actually trying to deliver you. For most of those people, once they rupture membranes, give them a couple, after 12 hours or so, within 12 hours, they will start contracting and then they'll go into labor. But because of the risk of infection, we like them to come into hospital um, earlier so that we can control the circumstances mm. around. Mm. So, for, for, so generally, that is labor. Um, and there's something that we call show. And show is the release of the mucus plug. The mucus plug is what co keeps the cervix blocked so that external organisms cannot continue to enter to affect the baby. When the cervix dilates, the mucus plug becomes loose. 
and it comes out. Okay. And it's, it's bloody, it's blood-stained, and it's like a piece of, like, like mucus. And that comes out. That usually precedes the labor. So most women would see that first, before later on they start having the pains, before the pains get intense, and before they, then they have their pain. Is there an estimated time between when you see the, the mucus or the show yes. and when you start going into labor? Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. Some people's own last days, some people own last only a few hours. So everybody and their... It, it appears for women and labor, everyone's story is different. Mm -hmm. What's accounting for that? Well, we are all supposed to, people. We the we we know that you have contractions. We know those contractions are painful. Um, but people differ. One in their in their perception of pain. So somebody may have a small amount of pain and they are shouting. I used to have a patient who be doing aji, 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 aji. Then one time, hand was on her tummy. She started contracting, but she didn't say aji. Then we realize the fact that oh, not all the AJs are proper AJs. Some of them were fake. <laughs> Attention seeking AJs. <laughs> she said, Oh no, this is a real one. This is a real one. <laughs> you had a good laugh about that one. Yeah. But so some people have a higher, a lower pain tolerance. Okay. And so the small amount of pain they have, they make quite a fuss about it. Some people have a higher pain tolerance, and therefore they make, they, they can withstand a lot of pain and bear themselves in a very lady-like manner. One of my friend's wives, a very big woman, came in labor and was lying there in the hospital bed in her jeans in Kolebu. The midwife came and looked at her and said, it hasn't started yet. When it starts, you throw that jeans away. <laughs> <laughs> and she truly told me that when the pain started, she didn't give a care. She didn't care about anything. Mm. All she wanted to do was to be free. So she, she indeed threw the jeans away. So, um, then there are those rare people who don't feel pain at all. Yeah. They don't feel any pain. There's one woman whose first pain was when the baby is about to come out. Mm. So if she's in labor on your ward and you don't monitor her, the baby will come out onto the floor. Because the first time she feels pain, it's baby's coming. Right. Could, could this be... And then there's another one I met Sorry. who has no pain at all. Beginning to end. Even when the baby Zero comes pain, out? Nothing. Wow. All she tells you is that I think it is coming. Then you deliver the baby and she gets up and she's done. Wow. Interesting, isn't it? But, Doc, I'm just wondering if this has anything to do with age, for example, how well you exercise. Because, you know, usually you're told in the olden days when a, a lady was nearing her time, there, there's a belief that if you allow her to pound fufu or exert some level of energy, it helps in pushing the baby out. So I don't know if that is in any way related to how someone is able to withstand pain uh, when it comes to labor? Maybe not pain per se, but the ability to cope. Okay. Because the fitter you are, the more resilience you have, the more you are able to withstand the circumstances under which you are, you are in. So a woman who has, is exercises, has got good muscle tone and things of that sort, is more likely to withstand the stresses of that occurrence than a woman who has you know, very little exercise at all. Um, um, something there are things that actually do work, especially for those who want to have their baby to come a little bit quicker. When you're trying to induce labor, you put some medicine over there, and the medicine's job is to soften the cervix and maybe even start contractions. That medicine is called post prostaglandin. That same prostaglandin is in sperm. Okay. So when the old ladies say, if you want the baby to come quickly, around that time, start having sex, 
Yeah, they were no, not so that's not a myth. Oh no, 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 it's true. Mm. It works. I know a doctor who actually <laughs> was told by a midwife that take your wife home and go and have sex with her and bring her back okay. because she was post dates. So the doctor actually listened to the midwife, took his wife from the hospital home and brought her back. She went into labor that night. She was planned for induction the next day. She went into labor that night. True story. Wow. We're learning some things here, aren't we? All right, Doc. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to discuss when it comes to labor. Um, is there a right way to endure the pain? And I'm asking this because of sometimes what our mothers tell us and all the things we hear about how best you can. And even in other countries, you see that maybe the woman is given a soft ball to sit on, maybe allowed to sit in water, um, you know, is there, is there a way to do it so that even though it's painful, like you say, it's easier to cope with? There are coping mechanisms. There are things that we can actually do to help you to withstand the pain. Um, one, having a support person, having somebody who you are familiar with. So a family member, a doula, somebody who is going to sit beside you throughout the entire process. Um, that person can, can act as an advocate for you. So that person supporting you and encouraging you throughout the process allows you to, and keeping you distracted, talking to you about various things that will take your mind a little bit of the pain. That person also acts as a coach to help you do what we would have been telling you to do, which is the breathing exercises, that during the contraction, focus not on the pain, but instead focus on your breathing. And uh, if you are doing that by yourself, it gets a bit frustrating and you get tired. If you have a coach who's encouraging you, hey, it's time to breathe now, Let's do, and they are breathing together with you, it keeps your mind of the pain and allows you to cope with it, you know, a little bit, a little bit better. So that indeed plays a, a significant role. Mm -hmm. um, the ball, for instance, the exercise ball, um, sitting on that ball and bouncing on it keeps you distracted. Also helps widen the pelvis. So it helps, you know, relax, relaxes the pelvis a little bit, give it a little bit more space, to, encouraging the baby to descend further uh, and faster. And, you know, that whole business of lying on your back throughout labor is actually not ideal. It's actually not ideal. Being able to sit on a chair against the back of the chair, with, like, so wrong way in the chair, yeah. facing the back, mm -hmm. and leaning over the back, and your support person rubbing the small of your back throughout the this really helps with the pain. Um, and I was telling you earlier about hot water and mm -hmm. its beneficial yeah. effect. Mm -hmm. Being able to stand under the shower with the hot water just hitting the small of your back where you're having the maximum pain and just stay there 30 minutes 20 minutes even longer in hot water like that really helps to to, to ease the pain mm. and then for those who can uh, have a water bath the fact that you are in a, a tub or a big bath with hot water surrounding you also improves the way you, the, the way you perceive pain so all those things help you to manage your pain a whole lot you know better mm. then of course we've got the medical interventions uh, we, we like the toys so the doctors come and there are varieties of things that we could do. In the UK, they give you a mixture of gas, a, a gas mixture, oxygen and the nitrous, that you breathe. And you, the patient, the mother, you control it. So you just, when you, when you feel pain, take a puff. When you take the puff, it makes the pain go down or the perception of the pain go down. And then you, do, you don't need to puff again until the next contraction comes. Then there are other interventions like an epidural mm -hmm. where we put a small tube in your back and then we take the tube all the way here we put in medicine, and then every few, like maybe every 30 minutes, every, we keep asking you about your pain perception. When you think, usually after maybe three, four hours, the pain will come down, then they top it up a little bit so that your pain will be managed until it's time to, to labor. Mm -hmm. And there's a one-shot spinal where we put in 
similar medicine, but in a different concentration in the back there. But that one lasts for about four hours. And you can top it up easily, like you can top up the epidural. So mm -hmm. there are various methods by which we can, we can manage um, pain. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go through all... I, I, women amaze me how they can actually say, I want to go through this raw. I'm like, hey, are you serious? Mm. Me? Oh, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Yeah. It's too much. I'm not carrying this for nine months and going through that pain too. It's okay. Mm, mm, give mm. me as much as you can give me. Load me. <laughs> With interventions to reduce the pain. I think when it comes to the medical interventions, we are getting there. But the other ones you mentioned is where I think generally uh, we are lacking in, in terms of allowing a support person to be there. Because, you, Doc, you can imagine in our public health facilities where one, they are inadequate facilities, they are even overstretched as staff. We don't have the time to pamper and massage you and, you know. So I, I, it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the importance of these things, especially for women when they go into the, into the labor ward. But let's now look at the types of birthing methods. Um, I remember chatting on a story about the squatting method um, in other parts. I'm told in Israel, for example, it's... It's very used um, where women don't lay on their backs. Usually they're allowed to use, is there a chair or something of the sort that allows you to sit in and push? Just run us through the, the birthing um, methods. And well, what we have here, mm. or it's most common here, is to lie on your back. If you're not lucky, the bed is flat. And so, uh, technically, it's actually against gravity. We are trying to drop something down and we put you on a flat surface. So we have eliminated the advantage of gravity in that process, which is not the way we should do things. Um, so that, but that is what unfortunately exists in quite a number of uh, places. Then we have the inclined, where if you're lucky enough or fortunate enough, the delivery bed allows you to incline. Where you are almost in a squatting position, they are not really squatting and leaning forward. You are still leaning back, but you are up. Your head is up, your chest, your torso is up, and then your bottom is down. And then you allow you to, to push, and your legs are on stirrups, allow you to push and to deliver. Then there's a squatting method. The challenge with the squatting method is that you need the patient to be high up for the, you, the clinician, to be able to go beneath and assist in the delivery of the, of, of the baby. And because it's technically a little bit um, challenging for the back of the person who is doing the delivery, mm -hmm. if you're an older midwife, you are not very enthused. <laughs> And having to bend like this under somebody, and when I want to push, you're not pushing hard enough. It's not exactly yeah. easy. However, for the mother, that would have been the easiest way for the baby to just come out. Because in that position, gravity is working at its maximum. Most of the squatting position, her legs are wide apart. Her pelvis is tilted at an angle that will allow the baby to come out. It's actually physiologically the best method to... to the same thing like they tell us that when you're using the toilet, your legs should be flexed up. Because yeah. you actually... Is, is a more physiological position. So that would be nice if we could get more people to deliver that way. But uh, the logistics of it and the little challenge that comes with it, but with time, mm. with time, I guess we'll be working on that method um, a, whole, a whole lot more. Then there are those who deliver underwater. Yeah. And, 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 and we see that a lot. In fact, from squatting and underwater at the same time. Mm. So um, in other places, you see home-assisted births mm -hmm. uh, where you have a, uh, a midwife or a health professional. In, 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 in the presence of family sometimes, mm -hmm. a husband who is sometimes in the in tub, the tub yeah. with the wife and you know, as going through the pain with her and all mm -hmm. that. And emotionally, I don't know about whether it actually helps relieve the pain itself, but emotionally, 
um, it's, it's such a good support for, for a lot of women. Um, I don't know how long it will take us to get there as a country. Do you know if people have home-assisted births? I mean, besides rural communities where it almost is um, a norm. Yes, yes. It, it is possible to get... I, I, I knew a midwife was doing uh, home-assisted births in, in this country. She was doing water births too no. um, in this country. So, but it's not very common. Mm. And um, we are tend to be afraid of what if something happens. And so... How quickly can I get to a big hospital that can provide you with the right kind of service? Those are the kind of things that give that give challenges. And because our ambulance services are not too great and our roads are choked with traffic, it makes that option a little bit challenging to offer. However, delivery is actually a natural process. And most people should be able to deliver without too much hassle. And so if you really think about it, if a woman has had a child before and the child she's carrying is below let's say 3.5 kilos, and she's an average-sized woman, um, the chance of her having, and the baby's coming with a head, and she hasn't got any medical conditions, the chances of her having a challenging pregnancy are really, a delivery, are really small, or should I say smaller than, you know, the other uh, ladies who don't have those kinds of things. So those may be good candidates to consider having a, a, a home birth. Mm. But you have to pay for the service of the, of the clinician, nurse, whoever it is, for the entire duration of your labor, and that entire bill is upon your head, it may be a little bit expensive. Mm. Doc, um, so you, you just said it's a natural process. And here in Ghana, unfortunately, we have had people classify cesarean sessions as um, an option for weaker women, women who cannot stand the pain. We've seen women who say that, oh, um, my child will go through it. Don't use a knife to, you know, touch her. In Memphis, she can do it. I did it. She can do it. And then sometimes they force these women into complications that end up, you know, sometimes in the loss of lives. There's yes. also the religious aspect of it where, oh, my pastor says I'll give birth like a Hebrew woman and all those kind of things. What informs what the best option is for a woman in terms of whether to do and go through the vaginal birth process or have a cesarean session? Well, in the olden days, the doctor would look at you and say, after examining one, two, three, four, I think you should have a cesarean section. Nowadays, it's a collaboration between us and the, and the patient. Yeah. So you'd examine the patient, you assess the situation, and you'd give options to the client. Usually, if you think she can give a vaginal delivery, the discussion of section doesn't really come up unless the client brings it up. If, however, you believe that there are things that you should be careful about, then you would have to have discussions with the client as to the fact that because of maybe your blood pressure and the levels at which it has gotten, we can't wait for the duration of labor of 10 hours. We think your blood pressure crisis is such that the baby needs to come out as quickly as possible because that is the solution to solve your hypertensive crisis. So we offer you a cesarean section because we need to take that baby out quickly so that the blood pressure can come down so that you can live. Because if we wait, it may, you may get into a situation where you may have an eclamptic fit and have a convulsion, you can have a stroke, you can, and you, and you, you can use, lose both your life and your baby's life. And therefore, we don't think it's the best option for you. Let's truncate the process by having a cesarean section. Or we've examined your baby, and your baby's size is too large for your pelvis by the assessment that we have done. And we think it will be in your best interest to have 
cesarean section. Now, those, those kinds of ones, the women always t- tend to say, oh, I want to try. Then you say, okay, you shall try. Then when they get to seven centimeters and it's not progressing, then they say, I want the cesarean section. I want it now. No, 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 you don't have five minutes to prepare. I want it now. <laughs> and is it possible at that stage, seven centimeters? Oh, you can do a cesarean section. Seven, okay. eight, even nine. Okay. You can do a cesarean section. But the challenge with these kinds of patients is that once they get to the end of their threshold, the end of their ability to withstand, they are very impatient about getting a baby out. And, and they so, may even blame you in oh, case yes, of any if, eventuality. If, 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 even the five minutes you wasted, they'll blame you because to, to her, she has made up her mind now, do it for her now. Meanwhile, you gave her options earlier on, but you know, it happens. It's life. It's human beings. We all, we all go through that. So, um, so, like a big baby. A big baby is a problem. Um, um, the baby's position may be wrong. When we are in school, or when I was in medical school, we learned how to do deliveries with the bottom. So, the time comes, baby comes with the bottom. We are like, oh, no problem. We deliver with the bottom. Then somebody did a study, looked over 20,000 deliveries and said, oh, babies that come with the bottom don't do as well as baby that comes with their head. The recommendation then became, oh, do cesarean sections for babies that come with their heads. They come with the bottom. They, that come with their bottom. If they come with the bottom, do a cesarean section. So the challenge with that is that more and more people are finishing their training not knowing how to deliver babies with their bottom. So the day you have a baby with the legs sticking out, you're in trouble because you never learned that, that whole process. And, and that is the reason why they suggested the cesarean section is that the complications are a little bit more for babies that are coming with their bottom compared to babies that are coming with their head. And so rather than get into that kind of trouble, just do a cesarean section uh, for them. So that, for example, now, the recommendation would be, hey, I think we should have a cesarean section mm-hmm. because of that. But at any point in time, it's the patient's life and their body. And once they are well aware of the facts, the complications, the risks, and the benefits, and they make their choice, we respect their choice. If we disagree with them, we may ask you to write the fact that, yes, you've explained and I still want to go this way, but at the end of the day, it's your, the autonomy of your body is something that we respect and respect mm-hmm. very, very, very seriously. So after we, come to, we have our discussion and you've made your choice, we respect it. So it's a case of planned CS for some women and some of them in an emergency situation. Yes. So somebody can have um, a prenatal care where everything was fine, there were no signs of baby being too big or mother not having the ability because of um, hypertension issues. But the day has come and the complications set in. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, if the mother is not able to give you her consent, what do you do as a doctor? Wow, trouble. Um, hopefully, during this pregnancy, you have had occasion to have met the spouse. And so you would, at that moment, this is the problem. I need to contact the spouse because she's not able to. We need some help in helping her to come to a, 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 a decision. So let's say you come to hospital and baby's heartbeat is poor, extremely poor. Um, and then we realize the fact that, and it's getting worse. It's, if you continue watching it, it's going to go out so the heartbeat goes and baby is dead. So you think you have to intervene quickly. And the client, for example, in this example, is now, you know, doesn't believe, doesn't understand, still trying to work her way around because of some of these belief systems. If you have access to the spouse, you have a chat with the spouse, let the spouse talk to the, to, to, to the client to make her, help her 
to come to a decision that to be in the in the in the baby's uh, best interest. The cesarean section is not because the mother cannot give birth. The cesarean section is that the baby cannot wait till the mother gives birth okay. and still be alive. Okay. So it's for the baby's sake. So we like to say that if um, if the baby has a crisis, then we would prefer to inconvenience the mother for the baby to live. You understand? But if the baby does not have a crisis, why should the mother be inconvenienced? She can go through the process, you know, take her time and go through the process as normal. So you try, try and get the spouse, try and get a relative, try and get people to, you know, speak to her. Because in the example I gave you, time is of essence. And the longer you wait, the outcome gets worse and worse. We think only about the fact that, oh, baby dies. What about the fact that baby suffered loss of oxygen? Mm. And later on, baby is born with brain damage, right. even though born vaginally. Mm. What have we gained? Yeah. What has anybody gained from that? It's, 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 it's a distressing situation, and we'd rather not have it. I've seen an occasion where uh, a mother, a, babe, a woman refused a cesarean section. Refused. Outright. And her mother was outside. They brought her mother. And the mother, too, said no. And talk, talk, talk. She refused to have the cesarean section. And then the baby died. This was years ago when I was working in a public hospital. The baby died. Then the husband eventually came to visit and was told about the problem. And the woman's excuse for not having the surgery was that she said they don't have money. And the husband came and said, no, I'm wealthy. I have money. The problem is, is the woman and her mother who have this belief that they shouldn't have, a knife should not cut her. But her story gets worse. The baby still didn't come. So you had to do the CSE? Not, not me, but so, somebody had to do a cesarean section for her eventually. What did you gain? It's a very painful experience. Very. Everybody was heartbroken because this was unnecessary. Hmm. Well, for those of you out there who still stigmatize people who have decided to have a cesarean session for whatever reason best known to them, I hope you learn something from this and you realize that um, there's absolutely no point in stigmatizing women, especially if they have to go through this and they choose to go through it, whether it's planned, whether it's an emergency. All we need, like doctor said, is for mother and baby to be healed and hearty. There is a lot to talk about when it comes to delivery and Doc and I will be back to finish that up.
Thank you so much for staying on The Baby Doctor with me, Bernice Abubedulansa. Today, our topic for discussion is delivery. I'm sure you've learned so much from Dr. Paddy Ayete, and he is with LMS Health. He has so many years of experience, so much knowledge to share with us, and we are always grateful to have him here on The Baby Doctor. So, Doc, we're talking about cesarean session and natural, well, not natural because vaginal I mean, delivery. Vaginal delivery. Um, but there are, even though there are certain things that women of the older, older generation do to sometimes make the process complicated for younger women who are trying to, you know, go through the process. Like you mentioned, a mother and her daughter insisting they wouldn't have a cesarean, eventually the child dying, and eventually a cesarean happening. There are those who also have very good stories to tell of how their mothers coached them, um, especially through the the, the, the pushing process. So someone says, my mom taught me how to do it and in three pushes I was done. What are the things we need to know to help us have a successful delivery? Because sometimes it appears there's a knowledge gap, especially with the younger generation who try to discard everything that the older generation says because we feel like, <coughs> oh, please, you're old school. I mean, let's, let's do a thing. What are some of the things we need to know to help us, you know, go through this successfully. Um, labor is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So all that shouting that you are shouting when you're three, four, five centimeters, burning all your energy, you will need that energy when it comes to push. Pushing that baby out may be one of the hardest things that you ever do. When the time comes and you need to push, some people are lucky. The uterus, uterus contracts, the contractions are so strong, the baby comes out with an irresistible force. They are the lucky ones. Some other ones, they need to support the contractions for the baby to, to, to come out. So conserve your energy. There's really no advantage in all that shouting and screaming. I don't even think the shouting and screaming relieves your pain. So I don't, I don't quite get it, what they hope to gain by, apart from creating attention and causing a scene. Um... If they get a chance to have some energy drinks, energy-producing drinks, like drinks that have sugar and things of that sort, please drink it. Um, sometimes they don't want you to drink too much in case you have a cesarean section. Uh, we don't expect you to drink one whole bucket of water. <laughs> but a, a glass, a small bottle or two of something that would give you energy, uh, something that contains quite a bit of sugar or something, please drink so that you have enough energy for this thing. Um, when you get a chance to sleep, sleep. Sometimes we give you injections for pain relief. Uh, my patients say it doesn't really relieve the pain too much, but it makes them sleepy. Please, when you get a chance, sleep. Because there's work to be done. But when it gets to the end, and we say you should push, we want you to use every ounce of strength in your body to push. And when you are pushing, every noise you make through your throat you are reducing the pressure that should be pushing the baby out. So all that, ah, ooh, ee, mm -mm, we don't want to hear. Because every time we hear you, it means the baby is getting less of your energy. You are using part of the energy to shout instead of focusing on the pushing. No, you are not disturbing us. You are just reducing your own efforts. Okay. And so we would encourage you to give it your hardest effort. At some point, we tell you, stop pushing. And that's because you are not contracting. Okay. Some people will now want to be pushing. When you show them, <laughs> don't push. It's a waste of energy. Wait until we say push. 
Because if you are if you are contracting and you add a push to it, you get a better result than if the uterus is flabby and you are pushing by yourself. You don't really go you don't really go that far. And depending on how they position you, you don't ask you to hold your thigh. Holding your putting your hand under your thigh and pulling it back not only gives you a position that allows you to push harder, but also widens your pelvis a little bit, creating a little bit more space for the baby to slip through. So all these are small things that you can try and do to try and make that particular portion of your work a whole lot easier. Mm. And, and a few rounds of sex before you go into labor allows the cervix to be soft, it dilates faster, it responds better when we give you medication to try and pump the to labor to come, and can actually make your labor shorter. Okay, you heard it from Doc, not from me. So all you heard the old folks say is not a myth. At least that one is not. Um, doctors are encouraging you to have a lot more sex when your time is due. Yes. Um, it's a sperm we need, though. Not a long round. It's a okay, sperm. okay. So if you're going to do long rounds with no sperm, it's of no use to me. All right. We want more sperm. But Doc, um, is it the case, though, that when women are nearing their time, they actually don't want to have sex? Yes. So it's more of a chore than that? Yes. It is more of a chore. At that particular point in time. But it's a necessity. Well, the same way that the woman didn't want to have sex, but when she decided she wants to have a child, she chased her husband for sex every day. <laughs> that same method. Right. She applied it at that time. Mm. Mm. Because I know women who were like, oh, that's for sex, dear. But when you want to have a baby, it's to call the man morning, afternoon, evening. Doctor says you should have sex. Uh, the husband is tired. Says, hey, doctor says you should have sex. Yeah. The woman she has the baby, then she switches up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, Doc, I like the bit where you talk about pushing through the contraction because... Well, I was coached, but that was a real shocker for me because that was a real shocker, rather, because that is extremely painful. Because mm. my idea was oh, when the pain subsides, then you rather push. <laughs> it makes sense, right? But you have to push through the pain. Mm -hmm. And there are no words to describe that level of pain. But it takes your mind off the pain a little bit, doesn't it? Because then you are focused on the pushing. Right, you're right. Mm. All right. This, this delivery business is not a joke. And... All the nine months of prenatal care, all the medication, all the sleepless nights, this is where it culminates. And that's why um, Doc is here to give you the tips. And I hope you've learned something, um, especially on resting, right? Because um, it's important that you store, you store up energy uh, for, like Doc says, the journey ahead. Um, Doc, in Ghana, there is a sad occurrence of maternal mortality and sometimes when you hear the reasons you just wonder if the story would have been different if certain decisions were taken earlier or probably if the person was in a different jurisdiction um, in your almost two decades of practicing what have you found to be the reasons why women lose their lives in the process of giving life it's always a sad situation when a woman loses her life it's I mean, I, I was telling you earlier that I chose this profession because people don't die. So when somebody dies, it's a big, big, big deal. Where I come from, it's even a taboo to talk about it, that somebody went to give birth and died. It's, it's not even discussed. It's that, it's that terrible. Um, there are various problems that may contribute to, to, to this. Mm -hmm. um, some start from the home and the community, in, in their community, and then the ability to access health care then their ability at the healthcare point to decide that this is that this is what you need and this is where that service can be rendered and if you get to that place whether that service can be rendered at that particular place mm -hmm. so we've got people who have got a crisis 
at home. And then the decision that, okay, let us go to the hospital, often doesn't come early enough. Mm. And because husband is not home, there's no money, there's nobody to take care there, you know, all that kind of stuff. Some people travel long distances to get to the hospital. So by the time they get to the hospital, that delay has resulted in the situation getting worse. Uh, you get to your nearest hospital and the treatment, they either delay in discovering that this is the care that you need and therefore putting the intervention in place, or they are not capable of providing that service and they discover it early enough and now say, oh, you need to go to the big hospital. So then you travel a longer distance um, through sometimes bad roads, across a canoe, uh, water, bridges flooded, other kind of circumstances. Now that it's raining, for instance, we'll have more of such problems. Till you get to the bigger hospital. The bigger hospital may be overcrowded um, and may have other emergencies before you got there. So by the time it gets to your turn, it becomes every time you come out of theater, you're looking as to who is the worst, who is in the worst condition. To Let me take that one. Mm-hmm. Who is in the worst condition? Take that one. If you're not fortunate and you're not in the worst condition, you keep going back and back until you become a crisis and then yours may not... Um, it may not work out. And then there are problems with um, resources. Blood is an issue. I have learned to operate without needing blood because I realized that you don't always get blood when you need it. So you have to figure out a way to do your surgeries in a manner that will ensure that you don't need blood. So I've, I rarely transfuse patients. But that is because I have learned to work, do my best not to require it. And occasionally you've got a patient who you've done surgery for and her blood is not clotting. And therefore, you need a lot of blood. Um, um, uh, when recently the Japanese, the former prime minister was shot and they got him like 100 units of blood, we were looking at each other and wondering, where can I get 100 units of in blood Ghana. for one patient in Ghana? In her blood group, mm. 100 units. Mm. It's going to be tough. So those are the kind of challenges that you know, one, 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 one faces. And... Um, we are a lot of times we are even when you get to the center and they are able to try to save your life they are also thinking of how to save her fertility but sometimes you should just decide that this person yeah. retire, she should go on retirement and that ability to take that decision early that she needs retirement rather than let me try and save it all these things and that's taking out the whole woman yeah take out the uterus oh, take out, at some point you see with experience and seeing the calamities that occur for inadequate this and inadequate that, you realize that sometimes the best thing to do is take out the uterus. Remove the cause of the bleeding. Let her live. Yes, she may insult you tomorrow, but she'll be alive to insult you. <laughs> I like and that. And for me, I'll take that any day. Mm. But there are also stories of women who, I had one recently um, of a doctor. Um, I, I understand that she, she used um, the IVF process, conceived, you know, went through the process, gave birth beautifully. Vitals were checked. She was okay. BP was normal. Everything, temperature. Before they realized, this lady goes into some sort of fit or seizure. And within minutes, she's gone. What leads to that? I don't have the specifics of that case. Mm. But if you say fit or seizure, um, there's something we call postpartum eclampsia. I cannot say specifically that happened in this obviously. case. But I can give you an example. So, eclampsia is when your blood pressure goes up to a certain extent that it causes you to have a seizure. Now, when you have the seizure before pregnancy, before delivery, and you have a seizure after delivery, 
the seizure after delivery is even worse than the seizure before delivery. The, the consequences of the one after is worse than the one before delivery. And, they have, and sometimes you check their blood pressure, it is normal. Everything is normal, or it appears to be normal. And the blood pressure starts rising on your blind side. It may not be a gradual process so that by the time you check it again, you understand. Or it will be hoovering around borderline, just below borderline, then it goes up. And then before you are aware, it has gone up so high to the extent that she has the seizure. If she has the seizure, and during the seizure, she vomits, and she breathes the vomit down her lungs. Her own vomitus has choked her. And when your lungs are choked, your brain has four minutes. And then brain goes, and everything else follows. So it's possible that everything seems okay, mm-hmm. blood pressure goes up, and it just goes pine, 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 poorly, mm-hmm. immediately after that. So... That in this case, for example, something that could have could have happened, or when she had the the seizure, the way the blood pressure went up, the seizure in addition to the blood pressure caused blood vessels to burst in her brain. She had a stroke, but the place the blood vessel burst was in a very very critical part of the brain, not like it takes away your speech or your left side, but the part that controls everything. You die. It is a tough journey for a lot of women, but Doc, um, some of the unfortunate incidents happen to the babies as well. Mm -hmm. There are people who have very great, um, um, you know, reports on how the child was faring, first trimester, second trimester. The child is fine, heartbeat is good, you know, everything is perfect, and then you have a stillbirth. I have always wondered what causes a stillbirth. And, and sometimes you almost want to question why go through all this hard work and go home without your baby. Yeah. It's very sad and frustrating. What are some of the reasons for stillbirth? Well, for a lot of them, we don't know. We can check. You can do. We can give you theories as to, but we can't tell you that it is this that caused it. Mm. For some of them, there are con- conditions that the mother had. Um, so if the mother's hypertensive, for instance, um, they can have stillbirths. Some of them would have, if the hypertension is poorly controlled or there are difficulties in controlling it or it's quite chronic, it can cause the baby to be small in size, small in size, a smaller placenta, small nourishment. Baby grows, it's not growing as well. The trick is how do you know when to deliver? So you're trying to manage it to, get, to avoid prematurity. And one day the placenta just says, I'm not going to work anymore. Baby is dead. We've got people who are diabetics. Diabetics are notorious for unexplained fetal deaths at near term. Everything can be going okay. Then one day, heartbeat is gone. So these, these two conditions, at least we know the mother had something that these are related to. But there are patients that, that we can't find a, a, a cause. There's a lady who, she was, everything was doing okay. Then around, let's say 35, 36 weeks, the placenta separated from the wall. You check your blood pressure is normal. Usually that happens due to blood pressure issues. But she had a normal blood pressure. But the placenta separated from the wall. And so the baby wasn't getting oxygen because now there's a gap. The placenta is no longer getting blood to take the oxygen and give to the baby. Baby basically lacked oxygen and died. But doc, are there ways as a mother you can tell if there's something happening to my baby, right? Um, yeah, so that, you know, we can avoid some of these things. Okay. So every, every mother should know how her baby behaves. 
And the mother who is observant to tell you, when I drink coke, this is how it behaves. When I drink tea with plenty of sugar, if I eat ice cream, this is how it behaves. <laughs> if I eat yam, this is how it behaves. If I eat so any mother who is observant tends to know how the baby behaves. By the way, the coke is plenty of sugar, so then the baby gets hyperactive. Reasons why you shouldn't give coke to your young children, mm. especially in the evenings. Otherwise, you won't sleep. <laughs> it's the biggest mistake you can make. <laughs> Sleepless nights. No, you and the baby, you, you all stay awake <laughs> that night. Their energy level becomes Superman level. Mm. So, but, you know, um, a mother be, should be able to tell how the baby behaves during, based on what you are going through. When your heart rate goes up, the baby's heart rate too goes up. It, it kind of reflects some of these things. So if your baby normally behaves in a particular way, and you notice a change, please, give your doctor a call. Pass by. Let them just check your baby for you. Because there have been patients who have said, I have not felt my baby moving today like I normally feel. They come to the hospital and you check and the heartbeat is really slow. In other words, you caught the heartbeat before it went. Yeah. Those are the ones that you want to get them into theater within an hour and taking that baby out. If you can do it in 20 minutes, you'll be happy. Rush to theater. <laughs> take that baby out because you are trying to take it out before the heart eventually stops. And those babies like that have been saved and came out very normal. No damage or anything. But that's because they were caught before they went, only because the mother was vigilant. Then there are some mothers too who come and see you. And when you ask them, what was the last time you felt the baby moving? They say, four days ago. Then they say, why didn't you come to hospital? Oh, I was waiting till my next appointment. So, in fact, I only came today because I saw some blood. So I was wondering why. That's why I came. But she hasn't felt a baby for four days. And it was all right with her. There's something we call a kick count, which is a chart that we, we tell you to keep. And you count from when the time you start counting, how much time does it take you to get 10 kicks? And if you know your average, that is within four hours, I get 10 kicks. Then you know that the day... In four hours, you've gotten six. Something is not right. You understand? So if we need you to monitor, we ask you. Sometimes we give you a chat to be able to do it. But on average, a mother should be able to tell that, Charlie, today I'm not feeling my baby like usual. Mm. And have it checked out. Look, there's nothing better than wasting your time and money to go to the hospital for them to check your baby and they tell you that baby is fine, go. Because you don't want them to tell you, we checked and the baby is not fine. That means we have to rush to an emergency. But the worst news of all is that you didn't check and the baby has passed. Wow. And maybe you could have done something. So it's better to be wrong than oh, sorry. It's better to be wrong. So please don't let anyone bully you into thinking that you're being too dramatic. Because no, 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 you know sometimes, especially if you're a first time mom, oh, these things happen. You know, you hear the, why are you being too, oh, too excited? These things happen. Uh, the midwife has got a, 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 a machine, a small Doppler. She can put it on the baby, find the heartbeat, and we'll look at the trend of the heartbeat. And if she notices that the trend is good, she can tell you that, oh, your heartbeat has been persistently good over a few, over like 10 minutes. I think you are being a bit too anxious. It's, it looks good. Mm-hmm. Or there's a machine we call a CTG that draws a graph that can actually connect you to, and then it will draw a graph. It can observe the CTG over a period of time. And so the pattern is good, you are okay. And then there are sometimes you look at CTG and say, no, the pattern is bad. And I think we need to intervene and deliver you as quickly as possible. Well, uh, I hope you've learned so much. I have personally learned so much. You know what? Um, we will be uploading these episodes. Share them with a friend. 
so that somebody's life will be saved. Most importantly, uh, one of the things you should take away from today's episode is that as a mother, as a pregnant woman, woman, always understand what's happening with you and don't be shy to call your doctor or don't think that you'll be uh, you know called too known or too excited and so you just um, ignore some of these important um, signals that your baby may be giving you I'll be back to wrap up with doc but here are some tips for you today tidbits on labor and delivery know the signs of true labor Report early to the clinic when you see signs of labor. Listen to your care provider's instructions when in labor to help deliver your baby safely. We look forward to a smooth delivery and a healthy child. Hope you learned something from those tips. Uh, it's now time to wrap up with Dr. Paddy Aete. He is at Elimas Health and he is an obstetrician gynecologist. Doc, thank you so much for joining us today. So your parting words to any woman who is hoping to have a baby in the process of bringing a child to this earth or just at the point where they have to push. Um, have a baby as early as you can, if you can. Um, uh, you can always do a lot of things in life, but you can't always have a baby. Uh, pregnancy can be a relatively pleasant experience if you get the right kind of support and you follow the advice that has been given to you, and you look after yourself. Um, know your body, know your baby, listen to your baby, and be your own advocate. When you, if you feel something is wrong, please insist that you are, you are looked at. Labor is challenging. It can be made easier. And um, if you go about it properly, it is not as bad as the stories that, as, as you have been told. Mm. And um, we are looking forward to seeing you with your baby and celebrating you on the next Mother's Day. Great. I like that. So, Elimus Health is looking forward to seeing you as well. Um, if you need any help on fertility issues, Doc is ready to help you. He and, he and his team, well-experienced team, you can reach them on 24 80755680248075568 or you can locate them at 10A Volta Street Airport Residential Area and um, very close to the National Service Secretariat just down the road relatively opposite that facility and so please reach Dr. Paddy IIT and he will be there to help you and give you all the assistance that you need. Well, let me say a very big thank you to Azel Vogue for clothing me today. You can reach Azel on these numbers uh, 0288616161, 0288616161. That'll be it for today's edition of The Baby Doctor. A big thank you as well to Think Media. Anything media, Think Media has got you covered on that. We'll see you again. In our next episode, I'm Bernice Abubedulansa. Until then, take care and always remember that babies are special and that's why we give them all the attention they deserve.
Bishop one was super yes rough. So here is your chance to win some mula in the game pack games mula for December promo in the easiest lottery to play and win in Ghana. Anyo, and no one papa game pack akano. Just take at least 10 Ghana cities in the game pack, pick one or pick four lottery for a chance to win concert tickets, free shopping vouchers worth 500 Ghana cities to clear the shelves of Malcolm or to buy Aku Corner Markets here at KFC. <laughs> Everybody can win! So stake 10 Ghana cities or more today and get your mula for December. Times and conditions apply. Game packages, more mula, more power. How does a woman become pregnant? The answer is simple, right? Sure, the process is straightforward, but not always successful. The woman might be infertile. And are his sperm fit? What can be done if there's a problem? And when it does work, how does a woman have a healthy pregnancy? So many questions. Who has the answers? We do on In Good Shape. Pregnancy puts a huge strain on the entire body. The heart enlarges because it has more blood to pump. The lungs, stomach and kidneys enjoy an increased supply of blood. The body produces more insulin and proteins and an entirely new organ is formed, one that was not there before pregnancy. Sometimes another pair of hands would be really useful. Or another set of eyes. But we can't just grow new organs. Or can we? Well, pregnant women can. Together with the baby, a whole new organ grows inside their bodies. The first sign of the placenta is often just a tiny line in pregnancy tests, a reaction to the HCG in urine a hormone that's produced by the so-called trophoblast cells. They form a ring around the embryo one week after fertilization. The layer of trophoblast cells fuses with the lining of the uterus. Together they form the placenta. HCG levels then double every two days and the pregnancy test turns positive. From the fifth week of pregnancy, the placenta is the embryo's lifeline, providing everything it needs from the mother via the umbilical cord. That includes everything from oxygen to vitamins, minerals, proteins and antibodies. The placenta also filters out harmful substances from the mother's bloodstream, such as viruses and bacteria. Unfortunately, some still make it through the placental barrier, toxoplasma pathogens or measles viruses, for example, but also alcohol and nicotine. During pregnancy, the placenta controls a range of processes using hormones it produces itself. Early on, the placenta ensures there's more space in the uterus and stops the menstrual cycle. It also signals for the mammary glands to grow. It also regulates its own growth as well as that of the embryo. Towards the end of a pregnancy, the placenta is about 20 centimeters in diameter and weighs about 600 grams. 
Once the child is born, the placenta has served its purpose. And now's the time when most parents really could use an extra pair of hands. Childbirth also involves the delivery of the placenta, which in countries including Egypt, Australia and China is given a traditional burial. But there's a new trend emerging on social media, cooking and eating the placenta. Placentophagy is said to stimulate milk production, strengthen the immune system and help the mother to bond with her child. But scientists warn against the practice, as the placenta could still carry viruses, bacteria and toxins that it filtered out during pregnancy and that can be passed on via nursing. And there's another alarming trend that can affect women during pregnancy. Amid all the changes and upheavals taking place, expectant women are also expected to be beautiful and successful. In the social media age, being pregnant also means looking perfect at the same time. After giving birth to a child, you just snap back into shape, as if nothing out of the ordinary had happened. Partying like a model while being a mother. Pop icon Rihanna made a very public statement. Posing with her baby belly in a sexy lace dress on the cover of a magazine. In the process, setting the bar even higher for pregnant women. And then after giving birth, shedding the baby weight and getting back into shape is made to look like child's play. Women who look at these images obviously feel under pressure to live up to them. And of course they feel depressed when they can't. This birthing center in Frankfurt accompanies women throughout their pregnancy. Sarah Sviatek is one of the midwives. Not many women would acknowledge that they're influenced by this stuff. But you notice how they put themselves under a lot of pressure. Typically, they'll start by asking about pelvic floor exercises. And then it's, when will I be able to exercise again? When can I start going out again? Pregnancy is a sensitive time. Hormones are all over the place, and the body is changing. Which factors play into the equation for women? I do think there's a lot of pressure, especially from social media. I think I managed to keep my distance quite well, simply because I had a smooth pregnancy and always felt relatively comfortable. I was so busy dealing with more pressing problems that I didn't really care about superficial things like that. So social media didn't really affect me, fortunately. During my first pregnancy, I was glowing. I was just beautiful then. During my second pregnancy, I wasn't very well, and so I definitely wasn't glowing. On Instagram, you only see beautiful women with beautiful bellies. They're slim, they don't have water retention, and don't have lumpy thighs or anything. So it's not the real world. Beauty ideals are as old as time itself. The only thing that really changes is how they're communicated. Social media makes it seem like perfection is actually attainable. So I can achieve perfection too because other people are seemingly able to do it in their everyday lives. I just have to make the effort. A phenomenon that becomes harmful when your health takes a back seat or social inequalities are exacerbated. 
Instagram is just one big bubble, something I was aware of when I was pregnant and still am now. Maybe I'm just too self-confident for it to influence me in any way, shape or form. There are also self-confident women on Instagram and they show how things can be done differently. A lot depends on what you're dealing with, as a woman too. Which people you look at and which social media accounts you follow makes a huge difference. The message here, don't be phased, be kind to yourself and your body. A healthy lifestyle is also important for those hoping to conceive. As is plenty of patience, because even with regular sex, it can take up to a year or more to become pregnant. The most important prerequisite is that both partners are healthy and fertile. But let's turn first to women. What are the factors that can play a key role? Here are six tips to help boost female fertility. First, use condoms. Yes, you heard right. Before you want to get pregnant, you should be using condoms. Sexually transmitted diseases like chlamydia and gonorrhea, after all, can lead to infertility. So always use a condom to help reduce the risk of future problems. Our second tip, avoid coffee, alcohol and narcotics. Consuming excessive amounts of coffee, alcohol or drugs can make it harder to conceive. So it can't hurt to avoid them altogether. Caffeine hinders the contraction of muscles in the fallopian tubes. Studies have also shown that more than five cups of coffee a day can lead to miscarriages. And be careful with other caffeinated drinks too. Our third tip, stop smoking. Smokers are up to 40% less likely to conceive than non-smokers. Smoking impairs the functioning of the ovaries, so it's better to quit the cancer sticks. Tip number four, a healthy weight. Studies have shown a link between obesity and infertility, so it's good to keep your weight at a reasonable level. Moderate exercise on a regular basis helps, as does a healthy lifestyle and a nutrient-rich diet. If you want to conceive, you need to be getting enough iron, calcium and zinc. Zinc helps to regulate the menstrual cycle. And folic acid is also important. A woman's body needs folate to produce the sex hormones, estrogen and progesterone, which are necessary for conception. Tip number five, be wary of plastic. Plastic may seem impossible to avoid, but some research suggests it might be a good idea to minimize your exposure. A study on mice showed that various chemical compounds can inhibit the production of estrogen. Plus, young children are particularly vulnerable to chemical and particle exposure. So, when it comes to toys, bottles and pacifiers, it's best to use alternative materials. And another tip, take age into consideration. Female fertility and the quality of eggs decline with age. After 35, fertility declines more rapidly. So it's better to start a family earlier rather than later. Mm -hmm. 
Sometimes there are health conditions that make it difficult for women to conceive. Endometriosis is when tissue similar to the lining of the womb grows in other places, such as in the fallopian tubes, the vagina and the bladder, but also outside of the pelvic and abdominal cavity. The condition can cause extreme pain and also lead to infertility. But doctors often fail to recognize endometriosis, which can result in a grueling ordeal for the women affected. At first, Selina Brendel had pain in her stomach, bladder, and then her bowels. Nobody thought that it could be a gynecological problem. She went from doctor to doctor, seeing everyone from urologists to gastroenterologists. They failed to find anything. Selina felt misunderstood, as if she were a hypochondriac. I could barely stand because of the pain, and it was difficult to find out what the problem was. Plus, having pain when you don't know what's causing it is really worrying. It's also incredibly difficult to cope with psychologically when you just know that something is wrong. It really affected me. The pain got worse. Selina Brendel developed more and more symptoms, making her life practically unbearable. I couldn't work, I couldn't have any hobbies or a relationship, nothing. Everything was put on hold. It was 15 years until she finally discovered what was wrong with her in an online article. Her gynecologist referred her to an endometriosis clinic. During the resulting surgery, doctors found that her organs were covered in lesions, the source of the pain. When they told me, I started crying, but tears of joy. It's crazy, but I finally had a name for it. It restored my trust in myself, because at some point you even stop trusting yourself. But her battle with endometriosis did not end there. She still suffers with regular pain and is therefore unable to start a family. She found help from Yvonne van der Leij at the Endo Ladies. The endometriosis self-help group is an especially big help on bad days. Stick with what you're already doing by looking after yourself, seeing how things are going today, deciding if you just need to have some time out. The support group helps her to keep on going and find joy in even the smallest things. It sounds philosophical, but this illness actually showed me that. For a while, I couldn't even go for five-minute walks. Now when I walk through the forest for a quarter of an hour, it's such a good feeling. But she also knows that the chronic disease will be with her to some degree for the rest of her life. If a woman is struggling to get pregnant, the problem could actually be the man. This is the case for almost half of all couples having difficulty conceiving. Possible causes are obesity, a high intake of saturated fats, excessive smoking, hormones used in bodybuilding, or chemicals in plastics. But men can do something to boost the quality of their sperm, starting with a healthy diet. And here are three superfoods for boosting male fertility. Number 1. Salmon. Several studies came to the conclusion that fish improve sperm mobility. That's probably due to the high concentration of omega-3 fatty acids in fish. In one Danish study, a group of men were given fish oil, while another group was not. 
Comparative results showed that the group-fed fish oil underwent the following changes. Increased semen volumes, larger testicles, and a higher sperm count. Omega-3 fatty acids are good for blood flow, which means they're good for erections as well. Other studies weren't as conclusive. The positive effects of fish may just be a result of eating less meat. Number 2. Walnuts a study of 199 young men looked at the effects of nut consumption. The participants ate nuts for 14 days. It resulted in the men having improved orgasms and a higher sex drive. Their sperm count rose, as did the mobility of their sperm. But that study came under fire. Some specialists claimed the effects of the nuts could be explained by the unsaturated fatty acids they contain. However, salmon and nuts harbor another secret fertility-boosting ingredient, arginine. Arginine is a nitrogen-rich amino acid. In addition to other substances, the body's metabolism uses it to produce nitric oxide. Studies have shown that nitric oxide lowers blood pressure and expands the blood vessels, something that helps with erections. Arginine can also boost both sperm count and mobility. Walnuts also contain a lot of zinc. Besides being indispensable for a healthy prostate, this element is also involved in sperm production. A zinc deficiency means the sperm use up their energy before they can reach the egg. Number 3. Tomatoes Numerous studies have pointed to tomatoes as having a positive effect on the fertility of humans and animals. The secret is called lycopene. It's an antioxidant that provides the red coloring in plant foods. It also helps to reduce the oxidative stress in the body's cells. However, the body doesn't absorb the lycopene in raw tomatoes very well. It's best to cook them first. Tomato puree is especially good for lycopene absorption. The participants, however, weren't fed tomatoes. They were given capsules containing 14 milligrams of lycopene, equivalent to 200 grams of raw tomatoes. Their sperm was healthier and could swim better. But even if these foods can boost male fertility, don't forget that a balanced diet is essential to health and well-being. Where there's a problem conceiving, modern medicine can help in a variety of ways. The simplest method is insemination, which involves sperm cells being introduced directly into the uterus. The method can significantly increase the chances of conceiving. Then there's artificial insemination or in vitro fertilization. In this case, egg and sperm cells are brought together in a laboratory. If fertilization is successful, two to three embryos are then transferred to the uterus. Since the late 1970s, IVF has helped to bring 8 million babies into the world. Unfortunately, some women have congenital or acquired abnormalities of the uterus. But even here, a potential solution is available. Bringing a child into the world is a miracle of nature. Zara Brücker is a gynecologist and helps this miracle become a reality, also for women who are ostensibly unable to have children. She transplants wombs here at the Gynecology and Obstetrics Clinic at Tübingen University Hospital. My colleagues just called about a patient whose waters have broken. We'll go to the operating room right away to avoid the risk of the patient, the baby or uterus getting an infection. 
Zara Booker knows the woman who is about to give birth. Two years previously, the gynecologist oversaw her uterus transplant with the organ donated by the patient's mother, a story that made headlines. In 2016, Zara Burger performed the first procedure of this kind in Germany. In total, she's already helped to bring four children into the world. The first two children are already over two years old and developed normally. Numbers three and four haven't turned two yet, but they're developing just as wonderfully. The transplant is extremely complicated, with a range of criteria to be met. Only about 100 such operations have been performed worldwide to date. That said, however... If we can help just one woman, then I'd say the effort was worth it. It's just fantastic to be able to bring a new life into the world. The gift of life for Zara Brücker, a labor of love. Once the eagerly anticipated baby is there, the parents will soon be faced with a whole new set of challenges. The newborn needs a lot of tender, loving care, and there's often a ton of advice from well-meaning friends and relatives. But is it sound advice? If in doubt, it's best to ask a bona fide expert. Feet up for a diaper change. Many parents do it that way. Pelle Wiedling demonstrates a better approach. I grab the baby's hips up around here, as close to the torso as possible, and turn the baby slowly to one side of the hips. This way the baby notices, OK, I'm being turned over. And that's another good impulse for the baby's own motor skills development. Pelle Wiedling is a baby handling expert. He helps parents to be prepared for life with a baby. When changing diapers, both technique and concentration are important. If I maybe try to leave a voicemail at the same time, or think about cooking a meal soon, or what to buy, the baby notices mummy and daddy aren't really there for me. Lea Lindemann and Tom Wiegand are expecting their first baby at Christmas. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm also nervous. I'll be responsible for another human being and not just myself. We're happy to absorb whatever input we can ahead of time. Pella Wiedling is a trained physical therapist who has long specialized in pediatrics, from preemies in intensive care to teens. He's noticed that people often don't know how to handle babies. Some parents came in with their baby because they were having a problem. But it wouldn't have been necessary if they'd known about baby handling. I thought, this has to stop. I don't want to deal with these things after the fact. I'll try to help prevent them beforehand. Pelle Wiedling also shares his tips in online courses. A man who teaches baby handling is a rarity. Well, I'm relatively exotic as a man in this sector, but I don't notice it much myself, and I try to do things as naturally as possible. I always address both parents. I don't focus specifically on mothers or fathers. Key takeaway, parents need to be patient. Babies develop at their own speed. Your baby's developmental plan does exist. It's inside your baby, and you can't really influence it, apart from providing this external environment. That means, by emanating security, letting baby know you're in good hands here, we're looking after you, 
giving your baby space to develop according to his or her own plan. Shiva Philipsik and Paul Gut have created such a space. They have no particular problems with their little Niger. Instead, they're somewhat surprised that their lives haven't changed that dramatically. We're so happy. We can take her practically everywhere. She lets us sleep. Things are going really well. Even so, they're open to advice. She's my first baby and I'd like to do as much right as possible. Pelle Wiedling notices right away that things here are running smoothly. He also knows that's not always the case. If parents are unsure of themselves because they're having difficulty, it can make things worse. We pass that on to our child with the energy that we radiate. Here I'd address this very clearly. What do the parents need to feel secure in order to exude that peace of mind? After the birth, both babies and parents have many new things to learn, and Pella Wiedling is there to help them. By the way, moderate exercise during pregnancy is also okay as long as the woman listens to her body. And those of you who aren't pregnant can definitely join in too. Welcome and hello. Today you only need a mat. Let's start. Hands are slightly next to your shoulders. Go down to the floor. Push up yourself. Rotate your upper body. Back down. Push up. And we switch the side. to squeeze your stomach to have enough stabilization. Do this exercise 8 to 12 times. Do a little break and repeat it 4 times. With this exercise, you train your whole upper body. Your arms, your shoulders, your chest, but also your abdominals and your back. So it's a perfect exercise. That's all for this week's In Good Shape. Goodbye and see you next time. Something they cause me, they cause you, they cause your son and daughter. Where we all feel come together and try to sort each other. Then you go turn around and sell out just because of dollar. Manjas, they think how fast he go fit up something today. Forget about him, people make them find them our own way. Forgetting, say the same people put on for way day. 
He cast too high to see suffering below. He's too far away. Them get eyes, but them know they see. Them get heart, but them know they feel. Some too they get mind, but them know they think. That'll be why we all day inside a boat where we they sink. I say them get eyes, but them know they see. Them get heart, but them know they feel. Some too they get mind. But I know they think That'd be why we all day inside a boat Where we they sing Myopia They know they see that Ice cold heart They know they feel not Bad minds All they know they think about you That'd be why we all day inside a boat where we they sink, I say, myopia, they know they see nothing. Ice cold heart, they know they feel nothing. Bad minds, all they know they think about you. That be why we on day inside the boat where we they sink.
Imagine a family without a home. Imagine a song without a voice. Imagine a church without prayers. Imagine a government without citizens. Imagine democracy without journalists. Imagine a world without the media. Life is full of issues and stories about people, communities and governments. Stories that have to be told by well-trained journalists. That's why you can't imagine news without Joy News. First time in 20 years. In 20 years. Over I know. Over two decades. A very long time. You're probably going to ask me why has it been so long. Yeah. I don't actually have an answer. I thought the reason would be because I had no friends here. Okay. I had family. I had you. Yeah. So what happened? I just, I just don't know. Okay. Well, well there's a lot you yes. really need to talk about. For sure. You know, your life. I know. Back in the UK. Yeah. Also DJ. A little bit. And a broadcaster. <laughs> Guys, he's been doing this for the past 10 years and trust me he knows what he's about oh thank you and we're really glad to yenko how's that for my tree how's that for my tree yenko that is terrible <laughs> that is terrible oh but do you speak any tree though i i don't speak but me say what's it doing me to tree tree me doing out i ain't me i don't know <laughs> He's so lost. And there goes my Ghana card. I know. So where is your Ghana card? I don't have one yet. I'm gonna get one. Of them. Yeah, we need uh. to get your Ghana card. But uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Let me tell you, everybody, this is E Vibes. This is another fantastic edition. We're here with Jeremiah Asiama. I hope I got that right. Asiama, Asiama. Uh, he's a broadcaster with the BBC. He's also a DJ. We're about to have. A very sensual, fantastic, everything in between conversation with the man, Jeremiah. So you need to stick and stay with us. We'll be right back. 
If you just join us, this is E-Vibes, where we get to celebrate uh, gallant men and women out there making the motherland proud. And, of course, Jeremiah is no exception. Uh, he's been out there for over 20 years, and he's been, you know, making the country proud. And it's very exciting to have you here on the show and to celebrate you thank and, you and to you know get to know you more yeah. so uh, let's talk about how you even uh, made it uh, onto the bbc yeah well firstly thank you for having me obviously it's my first time back in the motherland in over what in time 20 years like you say yeah sun's out and i'm with you um so i appreciate that for a start bbc for yeah. so i started radio when i was 15 Okay. Um, and I was going through a bit of a naughty path and uh, I came across a fellow Ghanaian at the time called Clara Ampho um, and she was saying on radio, oh, if you want to shout out, just message us. And I thought, that's a lie. If you yeah. message someone, they're going to take your money and that's it. So I thought, you know what? I took my parents' phone, I messaged her and she shouted me out. And at that time in my life, I didn't really have much friends around me who were genuine and I felt like Clara was a friend that I never met right. but I grew to love. And I loved the music that she would play. And I was like, you know what? The fact that someone can make me feel this good and I've never met them before through music and the way they talk, that's what I want to do for other people. Um, and I never gave up. And here we are, you know, 10 years later. And here you are. Let me, yeah. let, let me give you a quote. Something that you said that I saw somewhere online. Yeah. You said, when I found radio and I found the love for music and knowing that I could share that with people I knew that was me or that is me yeah and uh, it wasn't radio uh, from the very no. onset it wasn't radio it was no. something else I'm sure it was... your parents wanted you to do something else they wanted you to go to school go to school and go to school exactly but, but, but what happened you you didn't you didn't um, go to school you went no. to school so I went to college you... but I never went to university university yeah, yeah. Um, come? I think I just knew that I wanted to do, like, be a DJ. I just, I don't know what it was. I just knew something within me was telling me that this is, this is my path. Mm. And, you know, growing up, it's always church. You go there, you hear, I see that. You just, you just, you feel the music. I see that, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. So all of those songs, the highlights, the, the lumbers, the, probably a poncer, like everything. Mm. All those different sounds growing up, I, I knew music was my passion. Right. Um, and when I found that I could actually DJ right. and, and play music for a living and make people feel the way I feel, I was like, sign me up. You, you, um, went, you went it straight, straight Yeah, straight. and I've been blessed by God. I always give God the glory because mm. without God, I wouldn't be here. But I've been able to DJ in some incredible places, in some incredible venues, and also interview some like sensational stars I across. Am definitely coming to that. Yeah. The recent one, I know that you were, uh, you put, you DJ'd recently, not too yeah. long ago at Wembley. Yeah. Uh, over 90,000 90, people. 90,000 people. And you were in front of these people. Yeah, it was. Doing what you love. It's crazy when you think tell, about that. Tell me about the experience. I genuinely thought, it was, I felt like I was in heaven for a split second because when I looked in front of me, there was an eighty-piece marching band this was the same marching band that performed at the King's coronation. So they were there, the royal family were there. I look up, I see the blue sky, I, I see the trumpets, the, the noise, the atmosphere. Uh, it, was, it was such a blessing. Right. Uh, and also my family were able to see me DJ. And it was the first time they'd ever seen me live. 
Wow. My grandma as well. So wow. for me, it was more than just 90,000 people. It was probably the most important moment of my entire life. Wow. Because growing up, you know what it's like, like you say, like, they want you to go to school, to school, to school, to school, to school. But when they see, ah, Jeremiah, like... You're doing something. You're doing something well, you know? And I'm doing something well with my surname, you know? With my full name, Jeremiah Siama. Because a lot of the time, people ask me if I was okay with the idea of shortening my name. Mm. Like, even when I first started out, I had so many different names, but then I was like, what is my name? My name is me. Jeremiah. Right, of so, course. yeah. It's, it's, been a, it's been a blessing. For uh, the many, you know, Ghanaians who don't know exactly who you are and yeah. what you've achieved over the years, uh, I can refresh uh, some of your memory as well. Yeah. I know that uh, you've played at the BAFTAs, one of the biggest uh, events when it comes to celebrating movies yeah. uh, in, in, in the UK yeah. and across the world yeah. because we have people coming from, you know, America joining in. For sure. You played at, at, at that event, yeah. and you have one of the biggest radio shows yeah. in the UK. Yeah. In the UK. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. And, and, and you've done all of these things. How, you know, uh, does that make you feel as a person coming from where you're coming from and practically just following your dreams? First of all, I just want to say you're amazing. You are genuinely great at what you do. Um, and I, I appreciate that. Thank you. There's not a lot of times where you really think about, you know, like how far you've come. The, yeah. I remember this quote was saying, it's not about how long you've got to go, it's about how far you've come. Right. And when you look at it, you really appreciate it. Um, and to answer your question, okay. I have to give God all the glory. Like, it, like none of it is me. Praise the Lord. You know, like, I, my mum always prayed that, oh God, if you can change... Darryl, he was my youth pastor, he used to be in the wrong environment, you can change Jeremiah. Mm. And, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm just so grateful that I've been able to DJ at the BAFTAs, you know, and, and work with all these amazing corporations, these amazing people, and, and just be the light, you know, not, not necessarily in the dark, but just be a light in the room, and, and yeah, I'm chuffed. And have you had any interviews with, you know... Stars. Stars. I want yeah. to know the, your lineup, your, your favorite, your, your lineup. My... The, the one that you made you... Oh, yeah. You, you know what? Um, there's a movie, I can't remember the title of it. Um, I want to get... One that I'll remember it. That's but, okay. um, but I interviewed Michael B. Jordan. <gasps> right. And I like women. I'm not going to lie to you. But I put my hands up and I say, you know, when I see a handsome man... Round of applause because Michael True B. Jordan. Did what? <laughs> you interviewed Michael B. Jordan. I was supposed to be doing that. You should have. I was supposed to be meeting Michael B. Jordan. Who doesn't love Michael? Five eleven. <gasps> smells good. Walks good. Talks good. Yeah, man. He, 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 he was the full package. I am a little bit better. I will say that. I am better than Michael B. Jordan. Argue with yourself oh, on that one. Oh, look at him. You're so jealous. What can because, I say? well, everybody, well, we love you too. Yeah, you're, thank you. you're a passing. You're, thank you're from Ghana. But Michael B. Jordan, working with him. You know. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S. based restoration specialist on your team. You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. 
Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.